0: In Grimm's fairy tale of the elves and the shoemaker, why do they visit a shoemaker? And how does shoemaking in general appear in folklore and fairy tales? Let's have a look in this week's episode of Fabulous Folklore. Hello there and welcome to Fabulous Folklore, the podcast for all things folklore, occult and just a bit weird. I'm your host, Icy Sedgwick, blogger, fantasy author and your guide into these rather mysterious realms. I've got some rare things to show you, so come on in, take a look around, but be careful not to touch anything. These things sometimes bite. Well, hello there and welcome back to Fabulous Folklore with me, your host, Icy Sedgwick. This is our final episode in our Make a Month series, as it were, and we are going to be looking at shoemaking mostly inspired by The Tale of the Elves and the Shoemaker. This was also a request from someone on Twitter, so that's another reason why we're doing it, because I do love to do request episodes kind of within reason. Next week, we are going to be taking a jump into all things witchcraft and witch-related, so I hope that you come back and join me then. But without further ado, let's jump in to this week's episode about shoemaking. (laughs) So I think as far as shoemaking goes in general it's one of those crafts that people probably still have a vague understanding of and unlike blacksmithing which most people rarely see the tools of the shoemaker are usually on display at your local cobblers and if you're in the UK anytime you've popped into Timsons to get a key cut you'll have been able to see sort of the lasts for the shoes and the tools and everything. And while it's a cobbler's job to fix shoes, and it's a shoemaker's job to make shoes, there's enough crossover for us to understand how the whole process might actually work. Now, according to William Henderson, shoemaking is actually a cursed profession, and he relates a family anecdote in which a Devonshire shoemaker explains the curse came from Jesus Christ himself. And this is from 1879. And in this tale, Jesus passes a shoemaker on the way to his crucifixion, and the shoemaker spits at him. In response, Jesus says, A poor slobbering fellow shalt thou be, and all shoemakers after thee for what thou hast done to me. Yet as we're going to see, the most famous shoemaker in fairy tales was pretty much the opposite of Cursed. So let's go and meet the Elves and the Shoemaker and their cologne compatriots, the Heinzel mention. Now the original story of the Elves and the Shoemaker appeared in the German version of Grimm's Fairy Tales, but it was translated into English in 1884. There are various versions of the story but the most common one is that a poor shoemaker gives away his last pair of finished shoes to a beggar and then he cuts the parts for a final pair of new shoes from his very last piece of leather and then goes to bed. The next morning a pair of finished shoes sit on his work table and obviously he's quite surprised as you would be but he sells them on at a much higher price than usual thanks to the higher level of craftsmanship and the money pays his bills and he goes off to buy more leather. So on the next night he leaves the pieces for two pairs of shoes and then again in the morning there's the new shoes sitting on his work table so he sells them and buys more leather and this happens on a third night and a fourth night and it continues until just before Christmas. So at this point he and his wife decide to stay up to see who's actually making the shoes and they watch two elves come out and start making them. They're so amazed by what they see that he and his wife decide to stay up to make clothes for the elves to show their appreciation. So the following night they actually leave the clothes out instead of the pieces of shoes and lo and behold the elves find the clothes, they're chuffed to bits with them but then they decide that they're going to give up being cobblers and they leave forever. It is an interesting tale all about mysterious little people doing work for humans in the dead of night but it's also a cautionary tale albeit a fairly strange caution. Because basically the shoemaker doesn't actually do anything wrong. He starts the story by giving away a finished product to a beggar and then he tries to show his appreciation for the elves for everything that they've done for him. Now in some versions the elves see the new clothes as payment so having been paid for services rendered they can leave but in others the clothes make the elves too proud to be cobblers anymore. But there is an even more specific version associated with cologne in Germany and that is what I want to relate now. Now in this legend, first written down in 1826 and then translated into English in 1828, the elves are actually gnomes or dwarves known as Heinzel mention. And these gnomes basically do all of the work of cologne's inhabitants during the night. So bakers would come into work to find their bread had been kneaded and was ready to be baked. Shoemakers would find the leather had been cut and stitched overnight. Butchers might find their meat had been minced and spiced and was ready to be sold. And the dwarves actually did this because they were keen to learn every trade. So obviously, in order to learn how to do it, they would go off and do it. But it did mean that no one had any work to do during the day, so everyone was very lazy. Now, according to Magenta Griffith, the family should leave part of their supper as payment. And they were also not to mock or laugh at the gnomes, because disrespected Heinzler mentioned might play tricks if they were insulted or neglected. And I can't help feeling like that's a pretty fair trade. Leave out some supper and don't be horribly a household help for everything that they do for you. And to be honest, that's a much better deal that you often get with the fairies of British legend and indeed some places that I've worked. Now, the difference between the elves and the shoemaker tale and that of the Heinzel Mansion comes down to this part of the story. And a tailor's wife decided that she wanted to see what the Heinzel Mansion looked like. So she scatters dried peas on the floor of the workshop and then waits. The gnomes come out in the dead of night as they always do, but this time they slip on the peas and fall over. And I always think that bit's a bit sad, and I hate this mental image of these little creatures who are just basically trying to help, possibly hurting themselves. Anyway, the curious and, let's be honest, slightly malicious wife holds up a lantern to see the dwarves, but they vanish in the light. Annoyed and probably a little embarrassed, the dwarves don't come back. They leave Cologne entirely and never return. Presumably the people of the city needed to learn how to do their trades again, and I don't imagine she was particularly popular afterwards either. Now, this version of the story does make its way into various children's books. I do have to wonder how much it actually inspired The Elves and the Shoemaker. But the Heinzel mentioned Brunnen Fountain also commemorates the legend, and this is on Amhopf in Cologne, which depicts the wife with her lantern and the fallen gnomes. And there is a beautiful level of detail on the fountain with sort wings at the side that depict the Heinzel mentioned at work doing their various chores. And if you want to see what the pictures look like, if you head to the blog post for this episode, you can see some of the photos that I took when I saw it a few years ago. Now, the fountain not only commemorates the story, it actually preserves the fatal action and that's of shining the light of curiosity where it isn't supposed to be. So in a lot of ways, the hero of the story, if the hero is the right word, is actually the stupidity of the the wife trying to see the Heinzel Mansion at work and the way they're depicted is hot, so hard work as hard workers, just getting on with the job at hand. Now what's the common angle between these two stories? Now obviously in the tale of the elves and the Shoemaker the elves leave when they're given clothes while in the tale of the Heinzel Mansion they leave after they're spotted whereas the elves are spotted in the Shoemaker story and I don't think they even notice. But the common denominator is essentially the interference of humans, either for kind intentions or curiosity. And the only real difference here is that the shoemaker leaves clothes as a kindness because he's trying to show how much he appreciates what they've done for him. And by contrast, the cologne housewife basically sets a trap, purely so she can see what they look like. It's not anything that's particularly relevant to how well they do the job or anything like that, She's fairly self-serving, whereas the shoemaker is at least appreciative. Why in this case it's the tailor's wife that does it and not the shoemaker's, again, I don't know. But that's just the difference between the stories. The concept of these friendly supernatural creatures doing work on behalf of other people is basically the bit that that holds them together. Now, variations on these stories do occur across England, Scotland and Ireland, as well as parts of Germany. And while they don't always involve shoemaking, many of the tales do follow a similar pattern. In the way that they generally run, Is there some kind of supernatural creature, be it an elf, a gnome, a brownie, a hob or a pixie, helps out with chores and the grateful human then leaves out clothes for them as payment and they leave. In this case it was actually used for their benefit with a story from Sunderland which is near me with the coal larder Hilton and he was basically a prankster and if you left a room tidy he would mess it up. If you left it messy he would then tidy it for you and eventually they left a cloak out for him just to get him to leave. So that is always a a, a useful piece of information to know. But anyway, I do think that a lot of it boils down to this old idea of not looking gift horses in the mouth and also simply accepting kind gestures or hard work. At the same time, I do also believe in payment for services rendered. So it does become a little bit of an awkward one. But these are the way that the stories run. Now, you may be wondering, why is this involved in the crafting month? Why do they involve shoemaking? Now, the Grimm version is really keen to point out the shoemaker's trade. It's even in the title of the story. Whereas the tale of the Heine Mention mentions shoemaking as one of the many trades that the dwarves carry out. They're also into goldsmithing and baking, and I'm pretty sure they do some blacksmithing as well. There's loads and loads of different trades. And I did look everywhere that I could for a possible link, and I eventually turned to the encyclopedic work of Catherine Briggs into fairies and other creatures, And she relates the tale of Blue Birches, a hobgoblin who kept playing pranks in a shoemaker's house in Somerset. And while the family took the japes all in good fun, the shoemaker rather stupidly told the church warden about it and the church wardens took it upon themselves to exercise the hobgoblin and he was never seen in a friendly form again. There's no obvious reason why the hobgoblin would choose a shoemaker's shop and it is only incidental to the tale, but it was surprising that you would then have this sort of link again between shoemaking and hobgoblins of some description there is a possible source of shoemaking in the legend of the leprechaun the irish fairy cobbler and some sources do suggest that shoemaking must be a fairly lucrative business if the leprechauns each have a pot of gold other sources do suggest that leprechaun gold actually comes from abandoned treasure hoards and what you would find in years gone by is people would hide their treasure or their valuables or jewellery and things like that and they would basically hide them in a field somewhere and then they would go away, possibly go after battle, sometimes leave just for safety's sake from the area and then they would either never come back or they'd forget where they'd buried it. And that's why every now and then you get these treasure hoards discovered even now. Some people do think that actually that's where leprechauns get their gold from. But the point is, the tales of leprechauns usually focus on their tricksy nature or the pots of gold or the rainbow. They don't really mention their trade that often and when I looked up leprechauns and I tried to find some imagery of them very few of them even involved the fact that they are cobblers so it was quite interesting that even the fairy shoemakers don't even necessarily get given that much to do for shoemaking. So we can only really guess at why shoemaking becomes the profession of choice for the stories. It is indeed one of many trades in the Heinzel mentioned story and then it becomes refined over time into the elves in the shoemaker. We can only guess at why that might be. It could be something to do with the fact that shoes might indicate a certain level of status in society. It could indicate the fact that they're the means that you can essentially carry yourself from one place to another. So that how you move throughout the world. It could indicate the fact that people of all standings essentially have shoes. Whereas clothing styles may change, shoes essentially are a practical item. And even the very poor would have shoes of some description, even if they were just held together with good intentions. And there is also a slightly different reason why it might be shoemaking. And it could almost be a narrative decision. Because shoemaking does require a lot of patience and skill as do all the other crafts that we've covered in this month. Obviously, blacksmithing requires an awful lot of skill and patience because it takes a while. Weaving requires both, spinning requires both, if we then open that out in other crafts. Anything involving knitting or crochet requires a lot of patience and there's a lot of skill involved. Anything that you're making requires some kind of ability or practised ability, I should say, because obviously you can learn these things. But shoemaking is a quite a quiet trade that probably could be done without detection in the middle of the night whereas blacksmithing will be much harder to hide so it could well be that the story ended up becoming the shoemaking because it might be for some reason easier to to hide the fact that shoes are being made or because of the fact that they could be sold on for a higher price that is why they ended up getting chosen but one way or the other if you do find that your work starts getting done for you while you sleep Maybe give your mysterious benefactor a bit of privacy and let them get on with it. So that is the end of the shoemaking episode. I hope you enjoyed it. It was actually surprisingly difficult beyond the elves and the shoemaker to find a huge amount on shoemaking in folklore or fairy tales even for that matter. Which is a shame because I do think it's an incredibly skillful profession and I do say that when I have enough money the one thing I would love is a pair of custom made boots that will actually fit me Now, as I say, we are switching gears to look at witchcraft next month and we're going to start off with the kind of charms that might be used in magic spells. And these do actually come from the historical record, so that should be fun. And then the week after we'll be going on to the wonderful world of necromancy because, you know, why not? And then we'll also have some talk of the summer solstice as that is coming up in June as well. So with all that being said, I hope you have a marvellous week ahead and I hope to see you back here next week for our witchcraft month. Cheerio. Thank you for listening to this week's episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, feel free to subscribe using whichever podcast app it is that you prefer. If you do use iTunes, if you could leave me a review, that would be fab. Basically, it just means iTunes are more likely to recommend this to other people. And if you're interested in more folklore, please feel free to swing by my blog, which is www.icsedgwick.com, and that's Sedgwick spelled S-E-D-G-W-I-C-K. And you can find all of the links, images, and other bits and pieces that hopefully you enjoy. So have an absolutely fab week ahead and I'll see you soon. Cheerio!